the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know, 69. The following program is sponsored Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. You and I are not the arbitrators of who gets to hear the gospel. We don't get to decide, I like him, I don't like her. The modus operandi is indiscriminately share the gospel. Generally, you're to be bold and forthright. But there are some occasions where some people are so calloused and so hostile that you're better keeping your mouth shut and maybe look for another opportunity soon. seen those bold street evangelists waving signs that read, Repent, the end is near. But what kind of evangelism are you and I called to do? That's our subject on Know the Truth Today with Philip DeCourcy. We're discovering that evangelism requires boldness, balanced with wisdom and discernment. Sometimes we need to dive right in and share the gospel, while other times we need to preach the gospel without words. Philip is getting right to the heart of the matter in a sermon today titled, Salty Speech. Let's listen. One of the men that influenced my life was an Irish Baptist pastor and church planter by the name of Jim Henry. He was a friend of my father, but he became a friend of mine. That's a beautiful thing, by the way, when a friend of your father becomes a friend of yours, a friend of your mother becomes a friend of yours. Jim Henry was a man who wanted to fulfill the Great Commission. He never wanted the greater commission to become the great omission in his life. He always wanted to communicate the gospel. And so he made it a goal in life, and he publicly stated this. One of the goals in his life was never to end the day without having at least one meaningful conversation with someone without Christ about Christ. Can I just say that again? Jim Henry's goal, and he passed that on to me, was this. Don't come to the end of the day without having had one, at least one, meaningful conversation with someone without Christ about Christ. According to Jim Henry, a day is lost if you get to the end of it without having spoken to the lost. Now, as we turn to Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 to 6, that's Paul's passion. And that's Paul's perspective also as he addresses the church at Colossae. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. That's not just outside the church gathering. It's outside Christ, outside salvation. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, those without Christ. Redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Paul encourages the Colossians to go through life with their eyes wide open, looking for every possibility to share Jesus with those without him. And as they get that opportunity, they're to embrace it. 
And as they embrace that opportunity, they're to speak the gospel graciously and grippingly. They're to speak with grace. And they're to speak with words seasoned with salt, words that are flavored, words that are enticing, winsome, engaging, gripping. I want you to realize as we come to our text, what we have here is informative and transformative guidelines for personal evangelism. For personal evangelism, back up in the verses 2 through 4 and then look at verses 5 through 6, because if you look at those, you're going to see this contrast that is drawn between the few and the many, between the preacher and the congregation. And it's a complementary contrast. You'll notice that Paul asks them to pray for him, that he might have an opportunity to preach the gospel more fully. And he prays that they would pray that he might know how he ought to speak. Because you see, he's a speaker. He's a preacher. He's a teacher. He's an evangelist. That's his job. That's his gifting. That's his calling in a unique way. It's not that they weren't to speak, because you'll see in verse 6, they're to speak always with grace. But God hasn't gifted them to be preachers or teachers or evangelists. And so there's a unique prayer for them. You need to pray that God would open doors, create platforms for the preachers of the gospel and that they would be bold and faithful. Then in contrast to that, you not only have public preaching done by the few, you have personal evangelism done by all. And that's verses 5 through 6, and this is done in contrast. Let your speech, and I think that's as much, let your conversation, let your everyday talk be seasoned with salt. Let it be gracious. I want you to notice that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Notice the word in verse 4 is speak, and the word answer in verse 6. Preachers speak in public settings. Personal evangelism is often more of a conversation in the midst of everyday life. And you ought to be looking for those opportunities to speak and answer in response to an opportunity that God has given you as life unfolds. We're not talking about pulpits. We're not talking about platforms. We're talking about living rooms. We're talking about lines at Starbucks. We're talking about checkouts at Target. We're talking about soccer pitches on a Saturday. We're talking about machine shops and talking to your neighbor over the fence. What a wonderful contrast. And here's what I've drawn from that. While some are called to the first to preach, all are called to the second to gossip the gospel. In fact, I would remind you, as I reminded this week, just given this contrast, while Paul is acknowledging he needs prayer so that he might be a faithful preacher of the gospel, he's acknowledging also, but there's an army of the anonymous, the church, who do evangelism day in and day out everywhere and with everybody. I would think you can conclude from that, that is the modus operandi. More people will be saved through personal evangelism than through public preaching. In fact, Alexander McLaren, one of the greatest preachers of England a generation ago, a contemporary of Spurgeon, he admitted this. Here's what he says. It is better for most of us to fish with the rod than with the net, to angle for single souls rather than to try and enclose a multitude at once. Preaching to a congregation has its own place and value, but private and personal talk, honestly and wisely done, will affect more than the most eloquent preaching. Or what does Spurgeon say? Hand-picked fruit 
every time. Preachers shake the tree. Personal evangelism picks the fruit. And that's where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. And I want to just underscore something else unique about this before we get into the text itself. This is unique. I say that because if you read your New Testament, generally speaking, you'll find passages that give you what I might call a theology of evangelism. What the content of the gospel is and why you ought to be involved in evangelism as a Christian. But very rarely will you find a methodology of evangelism how you're to go about winning people to Christ, how you're to go about impacting the culture for Christ. But you have it here, almost uniquely. So elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul will give you the what of evangelism. Paul will give you the why of evangelism. But here he gives you the how. Just listen to it again. Here's the how. Walk in wisdom towards those without Christ. Redeem the time. Look for opportunities to speak. And when you get the opportunity to speak in the course of everyday living, make sure it's gracious. Don't be a Bible thumper. Be gracious. Be winsome. Let your words be seasoned with salt. Flavor them. Make them engaging, appealing. Draw people in as God draws them to Christ. This is a practicum on how you ought to impact the world. By the way, I was interested to learn this week as I was studying for this message in this series. I'm reading a book called Amazing Grace by Brian Edwards, a pastor out of England. It's excellent. And in it, he kind of peppers his teaching with illustrations out of the life of John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, the man who was a slave trader. It's part of that ugly business. God saved him. Then he helps William Wilberforce set about removing the scourge of slavery from the British Empire, becomes a member of the Church of England, becomes a pastor. And in the book, he tells the story that in 1783, John Newton gathers several evangelical ministers together, and they form a society called the Eclectic Society. This is a group of pastors that want to brainstorm on how to minister better. And in the book, Brian Edwards gives you a little page from John Newton's diary. And in 1795, it was December, the topic for discussion in the Eclectic Society was this, how may we best introduce religious conversation in company? Fascinating little window into church history. Oh, pastor, that's 1795. But aren't we asking the same question? How do I start a conversation with my friend who seems antagonistic to the gospel? How do I naturally in the office bring my faith up in Jesus? It's the same question. Same question. How may we best introduce religious conversation in company? In fact, John Newton admits even when he's in public companies at dinner parties, it's very hard for him to introduce Christ in a natural manner. In that society, evangelicals were somewhat despised. Talk about personal faith was impolite conversation. And so he's wrestling. When you know, I can't go in there and just elbow my way in. That would turn people off. But I have a duty to share the gospel each and every day as is possible. So how do I do it, friends? Paul addresses the issue. So let's look at the text. And remember this, when we get to these verses, 
we're right in the middle of Paul addressing the issue of the new man, the new woman, and how they ought to behave. He talks about public life, talks about private life, talks about raising your children, loving your wife, working at work. And if you're talking about how a new man or a new woman in Christ lives out their faith under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and invariably you're going to ask, well, how do I respond and relate to unsaved people? Until Jesus comes, I'm here. We've got to wait for that moment when it's church forever, but it's church as we gather and then we're back out into the world to live for Jesus. Everyday church. He addresses how they ought to speak to unsaved people, how they ought to relate to unsaved people. Part of our series, Total Grace. Saving Grace, Ephesians 2. Strengthening Grace, Hebrews 4. Speaking Grace, Colossians 4. So, here's my outline be tactful, be thoughtful, be tasteful. Here's the first thought, be tactful. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Conduct yourself smartly before the world. When you break the huddle on a Sunday morning and you go to play the game of life, act smartly, be wise, or to put it simply, act with tact with unbelievers. Write that down. Act with tact. First Timothy 3 verse 7 speaks about having a good reputation with those who are outside. First Thessalonians 4.12, write it down, speaks about walking properly before those who are outside. You and I have a God-given responsibility to be tactful towards those who don't know Christ to act properly, to gain their respect where that is at all possible. Some are so disposed against the gospel, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you'll never win them. But I think a majority of people will listen. A majority of people will seek to hear you out. And it's your job to make them at the end of that conversation, having watched your life go, that's the real deal. And you gain their respect by punctuality at work, polite conversation, compassion towards them and their hurt, all of that. In fact, the theme of wisdom is throughout this letter. In verse 9 of chapter 1, Paul prays for their wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 28, he talks about how he teaches with wisdom himself. In chapter 2, verse 3, he speaks about how Christ is the fulfillment of wisdom and wisdom is treasured up completely in him. He warns about the fake and false wisdom of false teachers in chapter 2, verse 23. And he asks them to act with wisdom in admonishing one another, chapter 3, verse 16. And the wisdom that he has in mind here is the practical wisdom that's spoken about in the book of Proverbs. If you read the book of Proverbs, foolishness is not a lack of IQ. Foolishness in the book of Proverbs is a life that's not lived in proper response to God and others, a life that lacks a skill in living. Wisdom in the Old Testament is an aptitude and a skill, not only that involves knowing the truth, but how to apply it to one's life. It really is about how to live effectively. See, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the acquisition of facts, truth, Wisdom is the right and proportionate application of what you know to be true. And there is a distinction. There are plenty of educated fools 
running about planet Earth. They're mostly the experts we have paraded before us on television on certain subjects. You can be an educated fool lacking in wisdom. In fact, someone has said this. Here's the distinction. Education or knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. That's a tomato, by the way, a tomato. (laughs) See, you didn't know that. Knowing that a tomato is a fruit, that's knowledge. Knowing that it doesn't belong in a fruit salad, that's wisdom. It's a fruit, but it's not part of a fruit salad. And that's the point. Walk in wisdom. I want you to be able to take what you hear from the preachers and expositors of God's Word, those who have discipled you, how your parents have raised you. I want you to be able to take all that knowledge and then proportionately apply it and know how to act when the rule book runs out, as John Piper says. Wisdom is having a feel for the moment and knowing how to react in that moment. And that's what Paul wants from them. And for a few moments, I want to think that out. What does it look like in the context of personal evangelism? Remember, we've got this complementary contrast being drawn between the preachers and the evangelists and the expositors and the wider congregation who are to walk in wisdom to those who are outside the church and outside of Christ. What does that mean with regards to who you ought to evangelize? what you ought to say as you evangelize, and when you ought to evangelize. Who, what, and when. Number one, who. What does it mean to act wisely in personal evangelism with regards to who? Well, generally speaking, who is anyone outside of Christ who's willing to listen? You haven't seen anybody that isn't an object of possible conversion and someone who needs to hear the gospel. So who, as you walk wisely and you speak the gospel with grace and with appeal, who? Well, just generally anyone outside of Christ is willing to listen. But let's be honest too, not everybody listens equally. You've got the parable of the sower that went forth to sow and there was different responses Some were hard-hearted and didn't want to listen. Others listened and then forgot what they heard, and others embraced what they heard and were wonderfully saved. But the point is this. You and I need wisdom and discernment when sharing the gospel. As a general modus operandi, you and I are too. Wherever we are, in any line at a checkout, in any classroom on a university, in any factory floor, any office space, anybody can become an object of our concern for Christ. That ought to be the case most of the time. But wisdom would remind you sometimes there may be a better time to speak or that person's not at a place to receive. You say, Pastor, are you sure? Well, I'm taking my idea from Matthew 7, 6, where Jesus says to his own disciples, don't give holy things to dogs. And don't cast your peril before swine. So while you and I go out today with the idea that anybody I meet is someone I want to share the gospel with, be cautious, be discerning, be wise as to who some people are not ready to receive. Some people are antagonistic and hostile, and you can only pray for a better opportunity at a better day. 
because it will be fruitless, and you'll be casting your pearl before swine. Do you remember that Jesus, when he was before Herod, and Herod had played him like a political football and had used him, that when Herod asked Jesus a ton of stuff, do you know what the Bible said? He answered him nothing. This seems to me worth thinking out. Paul, in speaking to Timothy, warns him about getting drawn into quarrels and questions about genealogies and false things that are not worth it. So the modus operandi is to indiscriminately share the gospel. But wisdom would remind you, as you do that with those who are outside, that while generally you're to be bold and forthright on the majority of occasions, there are some occasions where some people are so calloused and so hostile that you're better keeping your mouth shut and maybe look for another opportunity soon. There's a time to speak and there's a time to shut up according to Ecclesiastes 3. And that's true even in evangelism. Now, let me say this. <laughs> I've got to qualify it right away, lest you run off with this and do something with it I don't want you to do. That's not the same as you not speaking with people you don't like. I haven't given you permission not to speak to people you don't like. You need to be careful. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It would be a last resort not to share the gospel. But there is that possibility, and wisdom hopefully will dictate it. But you and I are not the arbitrators of who gets to hear the gospel. We don't get to decide, I like him, I don't like her. I like her, I don't like him. So you get the point. Number two, what? What are we to share? What are we to say? We're told to speak, to actively share our faith on a daily basis in the midst of life. But what would the content of that speech look like, seasoned with grace and salt? Well, let me say this. The issue I'm addressing is not the content of the gospel. We all know what that is. Those of us that are theologically informed, the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and the third day He rose again according to the Scriptures. The gospel is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, His atoning death, His triumph over death and the grave, His enthronement on high. We get all of that. So at some point, we know we want to get people to the foot of the cross. That's not what I'm addressing because that's a given. You don't get a choice on that. There's no variation with that. There's one name under heaven given among men whereby they might be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. So if you're going to share the gospel, you've got to get people to Him because they'll never get to the Father without Him. Giving us compelling reasons for personal evangelism. That's Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. And as Philip emphasized, our evangelism should be tactful, thoughtful, and tasteful. Today's message is titled, Salty Speech. Listen again when you visit ktt.org. Now, each year we plan our broadcast schedule to deliver the bold and biblical teaching you've come to expect from Philip DeCourcy. And this month, we've launched into a new study about God's grace. But you might not know that you're an important part of our planning. When we lay out our studies for the year, we prayerfully consider how we can best equip you with God's truth. And we always welcome your input. But this month, we're inviting you to take the KTT Listener Survey. Tell us what you're thinking. You'll find the survey online at ktt.org. Another way you can support the ongoing ministry of Know the Truth is with a one-time gift or even a monthly donation. Check out the giving options online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. 
And when you give, we'll send you a book by C.L. Chase titled Grace-Focused Optimism. It's one of the resources that Philip's referencing throughout the series. His pages seem to percolate with enthusiasm for the many dimensions of God's grace. Contact Know the Truth today with a generous one-time gift and request the book, Grace-Focused Optimism. You can also request a copy when you become a Truth Ambassador, signing up to give a monthly donation. Call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. And if you're new to Know the Truth, we want to welcome you with a free CD message that's a great tool for evangelism. It's called A New Beginning, and it's the first message in our Total Grace series. Ask for the free CD when you call 888-644-8811. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us tomorrow for another message from the Total Grace series right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. to the Eric Metaxas Show, you'll hear from the people making news. Plus, we'll talk to some of the more surprising voices in contemporary Christian life. And did I mention fun? Yeah, I'm Eric Metaxas, and I'm trying to pioneer a new kind of talk radio. So join me every weekday for the Eric Metaxas Show. You'll never think about radio quite the same way again. Weekday afternoons at 2 on life-changing talk radio, AM 780 WAVA. Some of your favorite pastors and authors like Charles Stanley, John Piper, and Max Lucado are bringing you their most popular devotionals for free. Discover the joy and peace you can experience every day when you spend time in God's Word daily. Sign up for daily devotionals from Crosswalk.com and get inspiration and encouragement sent right to your inbox. With devotionals for parenting, singles, women, workplace, and more, Crosswalk.com offers spiritual growth for every stage of life. Visit Crosswalk.com. You toss. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.